I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be here sharing with you lessons I've learned, conversations I've had that will equip you to create new habits, challenge mindsets, and build relationships that will allow your family to thrive. I was so surprised to hear that colon cancer is currently the third most common cause of cancer deaths in the United States, and it is also on the rise in younger adults. Despite this trend, young people are currently not screened for colon cancer and are often misdiagnosed or they have their concerns dismissed. Aaron Soto is a motivational speaker, author, wellness activist, and stage three colon cancer survivor who is here to talk with us today about her journey through diagnosis, care, and remission. After her personal experience with cancer, she is now committed to helping others take charge of their health. In her book, The Mother of All Fights, she shares what she's learned about what it takes to spiritually, emotionally, and physically beat a cancer diagnosis. In our conversation, we talk about how mindset is the greatest medicine there is and the meaningful and sustainable changes that we can make to improve our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. This episode is a must-listen, even if you're not facing a life-threatening diagnosis. Welcome, Erin. It is fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So a question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? We have a nickname called the Sotos Logos. Oh, <laughs> and Casa de los Sotos Logos. Primarily because there are six of us in our family. Mm-hmm. I have four kids. So we're a little wild and loud. <laughs> we make our presence when we arrive to visit family or friends. But we're also very close knit. But I joke that with four kids, yeah, it's a little crazy at times. It can be. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I can imagine. I have three kids and I just, I, 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 it's funny because sometimes when my husband would be home on the weekends or we'd be visiting family or doing something, he'd be like, oh my gosh, don't you pay attention? Don't you see what's going on? I'm like, what? He's like, it's crazy. Like the K I'm like, oh, this is fine. This is like nothing. And he'd always be like, what is going on? Like, this is normal. organized chaos. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know where everybody is. I know what everybody's doing. It's wonderful. It's fine. It's all under control. And if so you're not used to fun. that, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think he felt like everybody needed to be in their place and be doing like, I don't know, but it's, uh, I, I've enjoyed the chaos, especially when I get together with other moms, we had a play group for a really long time and there was five five or six moms that grew over time. And we started out with one kid a, a piece. And then over time we had between like two or three, each of us. And by the, we had like 24 kids at one point. And we would just like ah. line up the plates and like everybody get four Mac, you know, nuggets. And then we get Mac and cheese and then we get carrots. And then like, you just made this assembly line and we just like sent the kids off. And so I do enjoy <laughs> the chaos <laughs> when it's good chaos. Exactly. Okay. So you're here today to talk to us about your new book called The Mother of All Fights. It is a number one bestseller book on cancer and mind-body connection. So can you tell us briefly about a little bit about your story and how this all started? Yeah. So, you know, not very long ago, actually, I, I used to call myself the average overly committed, very busy mom at the time. You know, I was taking care of everyone else, as many moms know we do. And I was juggling 
and managing just all my four kids' schedules, a myriad of household duties, struggling really just to find time for myself. (laughs) And at the time, I joked my idea of nutrition was whatever fast food meal might have been in route to soccer (laughs) or softball fields and anything I could quickly and conveniently get into my kids' tummies. And eventually, you know, and, and, and we were definitely overly busy, overly scheduled and a little stressed out. And one day, everything in life as I knew it unexpectedly, when I was just in my thirties, actually 37 years old, I woke up around Thanksgiving holiday to discover that I had stage three colon cancer. And basically life as I knew it, completely flipped up to, to upside down unexpectedly. I, I did have some warning signs, but truly I thought I was very healthy and it was, I don't have a family history. And the doctors kept telling me that this was just such a, a shock and, and a case of really bad luck that I didn't fit the case or the list of usual suspects of what you would suspect for having a higher risk of onset of developing, you know, cancer as a young adult. And so That actually led to my feeling at first a little frustrated because I kept hearing time and again from my oncologist, from my surgeon, from doctors right after my diagnosis, how this wasn't supposed to be happening to someone like me. I ate well. I'm a distance runner. I'm healthy. I'm doing everything right. And that actually led to this point of frustration early on in my cancer journey because I really... I didn't want to hear that anymore because it did happen. And I was actually frustrated that my own medical team at the time couldn't explain to me why this had happened because I went through, of course, as many cancer patients do, you go through a variety of genetic testing and try to see, was there a predisposition? And that was all ruled out. So again, they just kept coming back saying, we don't have an answer. But at the time, if this is you and you put yourself in my shoes and you really don't know if you're going to survive this, right? If this is going to be what does possibly perhaps lead to your death, untimely death. And I had, you know, colon cancer is known to be the second deadliest cause type of cancer of all kinds of cancers combined. So it's not the form you want to have a stage three diagnosis of. And so I needed answers because not only to help me make sense of what I could do to reclaim control and power over my body and try and figure out what got me here in the first place, but also to protect my loved ones, my husband, mm-hmm. my children, and hopefully prevent this from continuing on in the future or ever happening again. If it wasn't a hereditary condition, it had to be something we had done or something we were exposed to. And even though my doctors wouldn't answer that question at the time, it didn't take me long to discover that there were actually a lot of things we had been doing very wrong for many years, despite everyone thinking we were doing this right. And since what I discovered truly transformed my life. And it was really a positive, empowering moment for me because I realized after grieving over my diagnosis that there was a way to find meaning in life again. And I could actually use this experience for good, deeply connect with myself, my family, my body, and really the world around me and become an active participant in my recovery and trying to help support what my medical team was doing to back up my care and really take back some element of control of my diagnosis. And I'm happy to report we've since survived. (laughs) And so years later, I ended up deciding, you know, everything that I learned about the steps that I've shared in terms of what I did to help support my own recovery was not just something that was based on opinion. What I discovered actually as a young adult with cancer is now what's 
what medical experts the world over, the World Health Organization, all the major medical institutions will tell you, actually 70% of cancer diagnosis globally are not from hereditary conditions or genetic predisposition. They're a result of avoidable behaviors that we make and little choices. We make everyday lifestyle choices. And that turned out to be when I connected the dot in terms of integrative care, discovered what was probably the contributing factors to my own cancer diagnosis, not to mention, as I've said, 70% of cancer diagnosis nowadays. So I felt that I almost was put in this position when I survived. I had, I was passionate. I wanted to write a book to help the next patient in line as a mom, since I now know cancer rates are skyrocketing and we're seeing more and more young adults face this disease every day. But I also wanted to share with everyone else, other parents and friends or anyone who would listen that we're all really, you know, one in two Americans are actually expected to develop cancer in their lifetime. And so there is a need to inform and educate and share what those behavioral factors are in an effort to protect and help people hopefully prevent and protect their family members, which again was my main purpose when I was first diagnosed of what I needed to learn. So I wrote a book <laughs> and, and thankfully it, it did really well. It's been, it hasn't even been a year. So I, I launched it in March to coincide with Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I have definitely got into and and integrated medicine and health over the last couple of years. And I still do find that it's hard to find a doctor that practices that and that will talk about other factors be, besides just like pharmaceutical care. Like they really like finding somebody that gets new nutrition and mindset, which is what we're going to talk about more. And so I was excited to read your book, excited to hear about your firsthand experience. And I'm excited for others to hear about it too. So you meant you just mentioned and you've written in your book that things that there were things in your life that contributed to what was making you sick. So can you be a little bit more specific about what you believe those things were? Yeah. So, you know, people I'm often asked, did you exhibit any symptoms? Like, did you have any warning signs? Right. And the answer is yes to that question. But mm-hmm. one of the and, and you may not be aware, but I'll kind of get back to answering that questions in two parts. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what's going on right now in the world with colon cancer, but one of the first things I did was join group and recovery groups. And I looked around and realized I had always thought that this happened later in life, especially colon cancer in my mind. This was like a thing that happens when you're, you know, in your golden years into men. My dad even joked with me about this being a rite of passage to his retirement. And I looked around these support groups and there were just so many young adults in their 20s college students and in their thirties, moms and dads and young, young adults. And that was the majority. That was what I saw more than above everyone else. So it shocked me. And I realized that colon cancer, if people aren't aware of this is on the rise and dangerous numbers, shocking numbers in young adults. It's expected colon and rectal cancer cases are expected to increase 125% by 2030. This is globally. And so that that's very eye-opening. And I think understanding what those factors were that contributed it, one of the scariest parts of colon cancer is you don't get a lot of red flags or warning signs as other cancers can show up in your annual blood work. It's one of, they call it the silent killer because the signs and the symptoms you get are so easy to dismiss. And I did. So it was stomach troubles. It was something that you could say, oh, I'm just having digestive issues. I need to cut back on eating this like cheese or dairy and maybe just a little fix and it'll go away. And it didn't. And by the time you start to exhibit any of the symptoms of colon cancer, change in bowel, you know, the way that your stool is 
the color of your stool, the shape, or even just any kind of cramping and digestive troubles, diarrhea, or constipation, that's often when it's already progressed to a very dangerous stage. It's too late. So I ignored those little symptoms that I had for six months. And that was that's what pushed me over to, you know, a more advanced form. So my, my, I always tell people, learn from my story. <laughs> you're not too young, you're not too healthy. And, and really, if you understand that right now, what's going on with colon cancer globally is really scary. So if you're exhibiting those symptoms, learn from this and please go ask to see your doctor and, and, and inquire about screening because the youngest that you should start is no later than 45. Even without a family history, if you have any symptoms, it's worth asking. But as far as answering your questions about figuring out what did contribute to it. I focused in on, as you said, integrative care practices. And I'm really happy to report that, you know, maybe five years ago, asking your doctor about what these are was kind of considered, they they really wanted to to rest in evidence-based research, clinical studies. And as do I, I come from a, a mother with a medical background. So for me, that's the same thing. It's like, if it's not the best practices across the world that the, that my doctor is going to tell me about. I'm a little iffy about it. But what I found is it's not just cancer survivors the world over, thousands upon thousands who have successfully used these behavioral practices to help themselves recover. This is now what you're going to find in most generic oncological centers. If you speak with any doctor, they now know these are kind of what we've learned even in the last three to five years are indeed linked not just to cancer, but chronic health conditions, right? We're living in such a time of disease epidemic. And so what those core five practices are, are, I I just, I usually go through them real quickly and we can go into more, but it's what you eat, it's diet and nutrition. It's what you like, what you put on your body. So clean living, personal care, household products, right? That you use or just where you live, the air you breathe, the quality of the environmental factors. It's mental and emotional health, which is very much, and we'll dive into that in touch with your physical health, stress, right? We all live, especially the last few years after the time of the pandemic, we're all experiencing a lot of stress, but stress actually is way more bad for you than we realize. We knew it's bad for us, but it can cause disease as can just going through a season of struggle. If you're, if you're emotionally or mentally exhausted or going through a divorce or grief over the loss of a loved one, what this does physically inside the body that we now have since learned, we can measurably see in scientific studies and tell you, oh, that actually causes this physically in the body. And it does lead to physical illness. So emotional and mental health is physical health. And then number four, rest and renewal. And that is, you know, 30% of adults don't get adequate sleep. And that's actually really bad for us, physically speaking, as well as renewal. And I think as adults, this is my favorite one to, to practice because we forget how to play. We forget to do what as kids we just did because we had all the time in the world. So maybe you like to paint, maybe you like to play music, maybe you like to write, maybe you like whatever it might be playing with your kids. We don't do that as adults. And so trying to remember that creatively letting yourself do something regularly and planning time into your regular routine to do what makes you happy is part of taking care of yourself in a way that really is very more, it's important. You need to prioritize it. And then finally community. And that's not just your connection with yourself on a spiritual level, but also with those around you, the people you're around, whether that's your family, your work, your friends, and having having a connection to people that 
are going to help you rather than hurt you based on where they're at in their lives and being comfortable understanding how to set healthy boundaries with that. And those are really the core five. And it sounds like a lot of these things you're going to say, well, we all know that we need to be doing that. But what people don't realize is the science behind the what and the why and how to implement them and how all of them matter and need to be practiced consistently. So you mentioned mindset and you talk a lot about it in the book. So explain to us what you mean by mindset is the greatest medicine there is. How did it contribute to your journey of health? Yeah. And so in my book, on my first day of treatment, I, I had this incredible nurse in the infusion center and she said something that really just hit home when I was, I was scared, I was getting ready to infuse chemo. But at that point I was about a month into following my diagnosis and I had already started taking, practicing a lot of the five pillars that I just reviewed with you. And she told me that she could tell just from the way that I was speaking with her about what I was doing and kind of taking back control and trying to support my medical team's work with all the other best practices as a cancer patient. She said, you know, I have been doing this for about 25 years and I can tell you, I've seen a direct relation between those who have a right mindset and Mm. those who come in here with the wrong mindset. And I can tell you there is a connection between survival rates and what you think and what you feel and what you believe. And so I, I definitely believed that the way that I reacted and responded and thought about everything that was going on around me would play a pivotal part in my being able to survive this. And so that's what I say mindset really is one of the greatest forms of medicine there is because as we kind of touched upon what you think and feel impacts what goes on physically. So your stress response, and you can actually release hormones inside of the body that for someone with cancer, for example, can make cancer cells even more aggressive. So you need to learn how to ease mental exhaustion, overwhelm, anxiety. And there's a lot of fascinating research that's come out about that connection, the physical connection between, you know, mindset, your mind, body, and how that influences your ability to heal and actually how studies have shown an increase in survival rates from that mindset. So that's where I started off saying, well, mindset's my greatest form of medicine. And it also helps you make better choices around the rest of those five pillars throughout the rest of the day. If you're in a positive space, you're in, you're a little more empowered. So what's the difference between mindset and toxic positivity? You talk about that a little bit in the book. They're not the same. They're not. And I think what, what as a cancer patient, at the time I was diagnosed, there were all these books out there and, and some of them were great and they shared fabulous advice, but there was a couple that I kind of just, I have to, I think they're, they're trying to help cancer patients, but for example, they'll say, think happy thoughts and eat vegan and you'll cure cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of back to that integrative health. I'm a huge proponent of integrative health and that's really the best of both worlds, right? It's bridging the best of conventional medicine with holistic integrative Mm -hmm. oncological practices. And I believe that, yes, there is a lot to do with diet. And yes, there is, as I just shared a lot to do with what you think and what you feel, but that alone isn't enough. And so when that coming back to what you just asked and answering how that, that, you know, equates with toxic positivity, those books were saying, if you just think positive. And so what happened was this movement, I feel like a popular movement where people were trying, or they felt concerned if they didn't stay positive, right? Everyone Mm. wanted to be positive Patty, you know, and wants to be seen as negative Nelly. And so we were almost forcing ourselves, um, not to be 
be negative at any time. That there was this huge movement of only being positive. And if you're in a position such as a cancer patient or any you know difficult tra- traumatic experience in life, I think toxic positivity is very important to address. I have an entire portion of my book committed and dedicated to this. And, and, and when I talk about mindfulness or mindset, it's not about eliminating unpleasant feelings or living in this forced state, if you will, of happiness, which that is toxic positivity. It's more about acknowledging the negative emotions and then trying to recognize the source behind them and then figuring out how to process them and let them go and and cope with it in a healthy way. And I am not a proponent of toxic positivity. I was probably very bad at practicing this for years and then realizing cancer was one of the ways, you know, that experience helped me understand I do need to sit in and grieve what I'm going through. And then there's an expiration date and it's time to pick yourself up, dry your tears and move on in a healthy way. Yeah. I appreciate the way you talked about that in that book. There's the time and then we're done and we're not going to stay there and we're not going to stay stuck. And I believe it's called right cognitive dissidence when you're trying yes. to convince your brain of something that actually it, we're not buying it. Like it's not like, I don't believe like your brain literally rebels against that sort of toxic positivity. If you're changing your mind, you have to ease it into things that you believe and change your belief system. And it's a natural part of the human experience. We have negative emotions and they serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. when people are uncomfortable feeling them, that's what most of us are. We shove it under the rug, we bury it, and we carry these emotional wounds from years, from childhood, right? You carry that with you and it, and it doesn't go away unless you heal it. And healing yeah. it is is acknowledging it and feeling yeah. it and then recognizing, like you said, there, there comes a point where if you stay there, you're going to stay stuck in that vicious cycle of suffering. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to acknowledge, recognize, and learn how to process letting it go, which is a lot of what I write about in the book. Yeah. So besides mindset, what other meaningful and sustainable changes helped improve your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being? Yeah. So, you know, we can go into a little bit more depth of some of what we talked about, but the core five formula that I really, I talk about it in the book and I actually have online programs where I I really go into deep detail of Mm -hmm. teaching the core five formula, whether it's for prevention and recovery against chronic illness. And one of the biggest is your diet, right? I mean, we all know what we eat. We are what we eat. We say that it's true, but the reality is what you eat and what we're learning, especially in more recent years. And what I learned as a cancer patient in an effort of survival is there is such power behind what you put on your plate. And, you know, the little decisions that you make every day, you might eat something that you know is unhealthy and you think it's no big deal. But when you add that up and the way that you, the choices that you make or your eating habits over the course of the years, right, that adds up. And if you're eating, I thought at the time, and I talk about this in my book, I thought I was eating a mostly healthy diet and was and I discovered that there are the plant-based diet in particular what most medical experts now all unanimously agree has the greatest power in terms of helping the body heal and there are some really fascinating studies and in large studies especially in recent years that have shown and proven how particular types of diet like the plant-based diet can quickly, and I'm talking like in a matter of weeks, Mm -hmm. drastically change on a genetic level, what's going on inside of your body to either help you heal or even stop the progression of certain Mm -hmm. forms of disease, maybe Mm -hmm. not make it go away, but it can stop the aggressive behavior. It's all has to do with that environment that you're creating based on what you eat. 
And so diet is a huge factor of the core five formula. And they say about as much as a third of cancer diagnosis or cancer cases across the world globally are relinked with what you eat, diet and nutrition is a huge part in that. The next is, as I shared, what you use, what you put on your body. And I think, again, there's been a huge movement in recent years as we've, as these fascinating studies have come out, right. And where we already knew, well, you should buy the things that stay organic or free and clear and be careful and mindful. And I did, I think what the average person does at the time, like, well, sure, I'm going to go buy some laundry detergent and this says it's clean. So I'm going to trust that the packaging is telling you the truth. And this says it's the organic safe version. And what I discovered after cancer was that, you know, these marketing, you know, the marketing ploy behind many of these large companies, of course, they're going to tell you that because they understand the consumer demand behind that. But you still and nowadays, unfortunately, depending especially on where you live in the world, some countries are actually much more strict what yeah. they allow and others are doing better than where I live here in the United States. But the reality is you have to be an advocate and understand how to purchase products that are safe because where you live, as I said, some of this is out of your control, the area you breathe, the pollutants, you know, the, the landscapers that live in the area that work and spray the plants in the area you live. Some of this is out of your control, but what you can control in your home from the cleaning supplies and even your personal beauty and care products can drastically impact your health, your physical well-being over time. And they can be carcinogenic and toxic and they can, and it's not surprising. We know this is true. They can lead to disease and they do. So understanding without having to make it complicated, simple steps to understand how to purchase and advocate clean living practices. Um, And that's, you know, what you put on your body, what you put in your body. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of talked about rest and renewal and who you, who you connect with and what you think and feel. So those are really the core five. Yeah. I know that I'm seeing a lot what's trending on TikTok and even the Instagram reels is like, this product is banned in this country and this country because of this ingredient, this product. And like, there's a, I'm seeing definitely a trend online where people are starting to share that. Whereas you were fringe if you avoided those things. Now it's becoming really popular, thank goodness, to avoid some of those things that have been eliminated in other countries around the world. Yeah. And I'll give your listeners a really simple tip. I know I shared this in the book because it it is, you do, you really need to be aware of this and there is a (laughs) consumer demand and movement. And there are certain countries that definitely do a better job at protecting us from others. And I will say also even states, right? Your states can regulate. I'm here in the U.S. California actually is one of the most aggressive in protecting those who live here. But if you go into another state, you can buy the exact same shampoo or product Mm. and they don't have to follow the same guidelines. So Mm. the not so dirty little secret that I always, it's just a really quick way to help shop for safer, non-toxic personal care products or cleaning products is the app called Think Dirty. And I I tell everyone about this. It's addictive. (laughs) I know. I already spent this morning running around my my bathroom with it. (laughs) It's so great because you can take this app and it has a scanner. You you hold a barcode of something in your home. So you can do a quick test in your house and just check the safety levels of the, based on the ingredients, it does it for you. So you don't have to Mm -hmm. memorize what to look for. And you can do that in the store. And even if you shop online, which so many of us do, you can even enter the title or the name of the product in the search bar, and it will almost always find it and look it up and tell you. And it basically just in a matter of seconds, ranks something on a scale of 
dangerous and dirty red or clean and green and safe to purchase. Mm -hmm. And then there's a middle area and you can determine your own comfort level with what you buy, but it takes seconds. So again, that's a really, really simple trick. Like one of many that I teach in that area of what you put on your body to help, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is everything from skincare, toothpaste, hair products, makeup, sunblock, face mask, and cleaning supplies. Yeah. I have a feeling if I show it to my husband, he'll be like, will be in overhaul mode. <laughs> it's it's, very, it's, it's yeah. addictive, right? It's yeah. how, you know who taught me about it was my brother, surprisingly. And I, I've, sh- I can't, I shared this with so many people and I'm not in any way affiliated with it. So it's important to say that I have no connection with think dirty. I'm just a huge fan of this resource yeah. that they've created and for good reason. So. Yeah. Well, it's nice that it's become easier and easier. They've made it to make those choices. There's a need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Okay. So what, this experience has definitely changed your perspective. So what has it taught you about defeat that can be turned into victory? Yeah, you know, I think, and and I really believe, you know, I wanted to bring some purpose to the pain of my cancer experience. And for me, I think you can use your worst experience in life. Mine was a, a health catastrophe, right? But it can come in many forms, but really taking something And I think there's two kinds of people that react in different ways. And you can either play it, like stay in the victim mode. We all go there. It's okay to feel victimized. It's okay to feel like this isn't fair. It's okay to feel like this shouldn't be happening. But then there's those who decide, well, that's not really serving me any good. It's time to do something about it. And so I, I feel, you know, I definitely felt defeated. I definitely felt like everything that was happening was unfair and wrong. And then I realized I was going to use this. I didn't know if I was going to survive it, but I was going to use it for good. Really for me at the time, it was to set an example for my kids and my family. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful to say that, you know, not only did I accomplish everything that I set out to achieve in terms of restoring my health, but I've now remained there for years and I've got my whole family on board in understanding how we used that experience for full life transformation from everything that my kids do and the way that we, you know, survive as a family, just not necessarily practicing these, but but like even just the way that we are together or how many things and activities and extracurricular events that we commit to, we've changed everything about mm-hmm. the way that we've led our life from where we were years ago and for the better. So you can use it for good. And I hope that listeners, you know, I mean, you often hear people, it it takes some sort of traumatic experience for you to finally decide to make these changes. But my hope is others don't have to go through what I've gone through to, to understand that you can protect yourself. You can take action now. You don't need to wait until it's too late. And truly, we're living a much higher quality of life and we're happier and we're healthier. And I wish we had known everything that I now wrote about in the book and that I now teach in my programs before it happened. But I feel like that's one of the reasons I'm here and one of the reasons I'm so committed to helping others understand you don't have to let everything fall apart. I think inevitably we all will face our own struggles, but you'll be in a better position to handle whatever that may be simply by kind of setting yourself up for success. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit more about what you have available to our listeners. You mentioned your program. I know you have a hack, hack your health starter kit. I mean, the book in and of itself is an incredible resource. So just share a little bit more about those things with us. Yeah. So for your listeners, I'd love to offer a free copy of my book, The Mother of All Fights. 
If they go to my website, erinsoto.com, E-R-I-N-S-O-T-O.com, there's a link where they can download it for free instead of purchasing it. And I'd love to offer listeners that. And then also on my website, I offer so many free tools and resources to help you kind of start practicing some of the core five formula, like free recipes and meal plans. So definitely check those out. And if you are a listener who's, you know, maybe you're experiencing early warning signs with your health, maybe not cancer, or you, you have you know, you, you have someone in your life who has been impacted by a chronic health condition, or you just, as a parent, you know, you're listening and you want to protect your loved ones. I have online programs, including the five-week anti-cancer wellness program. And I'd love to offer your listeners a discount to save 15% off of that. And I'll send you um, the coupon code that they can enter to save 15%. You can put it in the notes with the link. And again, it's Mm -hmm. all on my website, but I definitely want to encourage people to be proactive and to take action. And and again, I always say your wellness is too important to wait. I had to learn that the hard way, but you don't have to. And if you are someone like myself, you know, experiencing, unfortunately, some form of a health crisis, my biggest message to everyone is it's not too late. You can do something to help reclaim control over your body. And while I can't, of course, guarantee results that, you know, I wish there was a cure for cancer, I can tell you that I know this works. It's not opinion. It's based on science-backed mm-hmm. research and that you don't have to feel helpless. You can feel like you're empowered and do follow steps that that will back up and support your recovery. Mm-hmm. All right. That's amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and with your listeners. And I, I, it was, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much for having me. You can find Erin at erinsoto.com. She's also on Instagram as author Erin Soto. I'll link to that in the show notes. Plus, I'll also link where you can get the free digital copy of her book, The Mother of All Fights, plus where you can get that coupon for her five-week anti-cancer wellness program. Are you looking to build a strong and meaningful family culture, one that will bring your family closer together and help everyone reach their full potential? Well, I've got a resource for you. It's called Four Habits of a Happy Family. It's a free download that addresses the four issues that I most often hear from parents I coach. It will help you yell less and connect more, create memories that last a lifetime, say yes to the things that matter and no to the things that don't, and it'll help you stop doubting your parenting choices. Go to www.buildyourbestfamily.com forward slash happy family or follow the link in the show notes.